0: Jesus invited the first four guys to follow him. It's an interesting story because Jesus makes his agenda clear from the very beginning. He, he's crystal clear about what his expectation is when it comes to following him. And over the next four weeks, today and three three weeks after, I want to look at uh, together this idea of go fish. What, what it means to, to follow Jesus and then to leverage your, your influence, your job, for the sake of something greater for the gospel. And, and then how we do it, why we do it, those sorts of things over the next few weeks. But today, I just want to look at the story where Jesus invites these first four guys to follow him. The encounter that these guys had with Jesus. The first one was in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist, the different John and the writer, uh, is baptizing some some people, and Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, behold, the one who will take away the sin of the world. And that's, these guys, according to most scholars, believe uh, that they, or most scholars believe that these guys were present when that happened. Shortly after that, Jesus' ministry is taken off and he uh, is preaching. And then later in the day, he takes a stroll beside the Sea of Galilee when he comes across these four guys. And as I said, from the very beginning, he makes his agenda clear to them. What he invites them, compels them, commands them to do. And then he makes a promise. The only promise that he makes for those who will follow. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. As we look at this story about Jesus calling his first four disciples and kick off this series. Go fish. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 16. It says this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw Simon, later would be called Peter, and Andrew, the the brother of Simon, Simon, casting a net into the sea. And then for those of you that are a little bit slow, Mark says, for they were fishermen. (laughs) Pretty straightforward. Verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Now, in their culture, in the first century, and for centuries preceding that, actually, students would go and find rabbis to study under. They would get their resume together. uh, They would get their accomplishments. They would get people to, to back them up. They would gather all that information and then they would take it to a rabbi of their choosing and then try to compel that rabbi to allow them to study under their teaching. They would get everything together and then they would try and get somebody, this particular rabbi, whoever it was that that person sought to to study under, compel them to allow them to study underneath their teaching. And then if the the rabbi said yes, the, the person would move close to them they would sit under their teaching day after day, week after week, writing down the things that the rabbi said. In fact, they would also follow the rabbi to different towns as he taught around the area of his influence. The, when I was doing some studying, one thing that was, that was interesting that I found is some of these guys would actually follow behind the rabbi. Step for step, stepping in the same place that the rabbi stepped with the same foot that the rabbi uh, stepped with in an effort to to convey this idea of fellowship. They would have done it, just walk the way they walk, teach the way they teach, believe the things that the rabbi believed in an effort to one day be just like the one that they followed. That was what would go on. Uh, day after day, week after week, century after century in Jesus' time. But then Jesus shows up on the scene and he flips that completely upside down. Jesus goes to these guys and, and asks them, as the teacher, as the rabbi, he shows up and he says, hey, I want you guys, you fishermen, to come And to follow me. They don't go to to Jesus. Jesus goes to them. And ever since Jesus first sets out on his agenda. First sets out on his ministry. He begins calling people. Wooing people. Compelling people. To come. And follow. And the command. The invitation. Continues. Even to this day. Now, on the surface, when Jesus shows up and he asks these guys to follow him, it doesn't seem like that radical of an invitation. But Jesus is making a radical plea, a radical invitation, inviting these guys on a radical mission. You see, Jesus is not inviting them to come and to just follow him and and to write down a moral code and then share that after he's gone. He's not inviting them to come for a few years, to follow him, to learn under him, to teach like him eventually. He's not inviting them to do that. No, he is inviting them to leave everything that they know behind, to put nothing in front of him. He was inviting them to come and to literally worship him. He was inviting them. And if they accepted the invitation, he was bidding them come and die. It was a very radical invitation. Jesus, in the first century, um, these, these men were were their identity was tied up in their family. They would, they would keep the rules, they would go to the right schools, they would, they would try and, and serve or, or learn under the right rabbis. For one purpose, to make their family look good. And if their family looked good, then they would look good. Their identity was tied up together. And so they did the right things so that their family would look good, and then in return, they would look good. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and we're going to see in just a few minutes, he says, if you're going to come and you're going to follow me, i have to be ahead of your family. In our culture, most of of us, our identity is, is tied up in our jobs. And we're going to see that Jesus' invitation to follow me means that Jesus has to come before your job. This is a radical invitation to follow. Jesus says, there is no, I'll follow you if my career goes well. Jesus, hey, I'll, I'll follow you if I live a life of luxury. Jesus, I'll follow you if... My life is safe. Jesus, I'll follow you if everything goes well. Jesus, I'll follow you if. Jesus says none of that is what I'm looking for. I will not play second fiddle. I will not be a means to an end. Because see, if if Jesus says, or if you come to Jesus and you say, hey, I'm going to follow you if. Whatever follows the if is what you truly worship. Whatever you follow, whatever follows that if, if, is what is utmost in your life. Whatever you follow if, if, whatever follows if, is the thing that is of ultimate value in your life. And Jesus says, I will not be a means to an end. I am the end. I will not play second fiddle to anything. And the invitation to follow is that invitation. When I was growing up, I was, I was told several times and, and by several different people, Scott, the the only safe place to be is in the middle of God's will. And while they meant well, that is a lie. Because the only safe place, if the only safe place to be is in the middle of God's will, then safety is the ultimate thing that I value. Safety is my utmost, safety is what I worship. Jesus says, come and follow me. And I'm only going to promise you two things. The first thing I'm going to promise you is myself. If you come and you follow me, you're going to get Jesus. Christian parents, if your kids follow, they may follow to a place that's never heard the gospel before. And they may give their life up. And that's the cost of following. You may you may follow, and it may cost you everything. It may give. It may. It may usher in poverty. It may usher in a death. It may usher in uh, 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 tough circumstances, tough situations. Because the invitation to follow is the invitation to get Jesus and to get Him alone. There is nothing else that's guaranteed. If you think about these guys, that Jesus invites to follow. These four and the eight that come after they died horrific deaths. One was boiled in oil. Another was beheaded. Others were crucified upside down. Every single one of them died a martyr's death and a horrific one at that. Jesus did not say, hey, come and follow me and you'll be safe. Come and follow me. You'll live a good life. Come and follow me, you'll have great riches. None of that is promised. When Jesus bids me follow, he bids me come and die. And sometimes that means physically. When Jesus invited these guys to follow, it was a radical, radical call. It was a radical invitation that everything else this world has to offer would pale in comparison to your devotion to follow. The second thing that Jesus promised is in the last part of this verse. He says this, hey, if you follow me, you get me. And the second thing that he promises is this, and I will make you smarter. Smarter. No, that's not what he says. I will make you good. No, that's not what he says. Hey, I will make you a moral person. No, nope, that's not what he says. He says, if you follow me, you get me, and then I'm going to create in you. I'm going to mold you. I'm going to I'm going to shape you into something you're not already. And I'm going to shape you in to fishers of men. Now the first Command or the first invitation that Jesus gives to these guys, I'm sure they had no clue what it would entail. But when he offers this second thing, I'm sure their heads were spinning. They were like, fish for what? What are you talking, fish for men? What are you talking about? I don't understand what you mean. But look at what they respond. Look at how they respond in the next verse. And immediately they left, their necks, and followed him. I'm reminded of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. When he talks about, he articulates that when these guys answer the call to follow and answer the call to be molded into fissures of men, there is no fanfare. Nobody's clapping. Nobody's lining the streets and clapping for these guys. Nobody's standing at the front of a room waiting to... to, to uh, to shake their hand and to share their name to, to everybody who's in the worship center with them. There is no fanfare. There is no clapping. Nobody even notices. And yet, the Bible says, immediately, they left everything behind. They left their family. They left their job for something as seemingly insecure as following this young rabbi, named. Jesus. Look at what happens next in verse 19. Going on a little bit further, Jesus saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boats mending nets. Verse 20. And immediately he called to them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. Now, if you're just reading this account, it sounds almost like fiction. I mean, who, after meeting this guy, this young 30-year-old rabbi named Jesus, gives up everything, and after about 5 or 10 minutes with him on two different occasions, follows him? I mean, who does that? Especially with the details that were given in this account. Well, there's a story over in Luke that documents the exact same account. But it gives us a few more details. It's Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. I'm not going to turn there, but if you'll write it down, you can read read it. I'll I'll give you kind of a synopsis. You probably remember the story. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these four guys. And he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning. I want you to jump into your boat, go out to the middle of the sea, and I want you to catch your nets. To which I'm sure Simon replied, You're a carpenter. Um, You don't know anything about fishing. You you, you see carpenter Jesus, um, you fish in the middle of the night. And last night, we went out fishing, and we didn't catch a thing. There is no chance that we're going to catch any fish in the middle of the day. But, for whatever reason, we don't really know why, Peter, or Simon, and his brothers obey. Jesus, they push out their boats. I'm sure reluctantly. They jump in, they grab their nets, and they toss them into the sea. And then they begin to draw their nets back into the boat. And you probably remember the story. There were more fish than they can even pull up. And they kept pulling the nets up up into the boat. And they kept pulling the nets up into the boat. And more and more fish came into the boat. So many fish, the Bible says, that the boat, Simon's boat, began to sink. So John comes over with his boat to help out. And he begins to pull the nets up into his boat. And fish begin jumping into the boat. And more and more and more fish come into John's boat. The Bible says that his boat began to do the exact same thing. His boat began to sink because there were so many fish. They head back to shore and Jesus says, Hey guys, I want you to leave behind a lucrative business. I want you to leave behind your identity that's bound up in your family. I want you to leave all of that behind. And I want you to follow me. I don't know if these guys felt like they had a a choice after seeing that miracle. But I guarantee you, they did not know all that following would entail. Well, if you read the rest of, of Mark and the rest of the New Testament, you know that this is exactly what happened. These guys followed Jesus. They, they were formed and molded into his image. They were given a boldness that was beyond what they, could, they, they ever dreamed they would have on their own. And Jesus did exactly what He promised He would do. He created in them molded them into fishers of men and it wasn't just these four guys there was a a lady who met Jesus who had five husbands and was living with a guy who was not her husband and she became a fisher of men there was a guy who was filled with demons came in contact with Jesus the Savior of the world and he became a fisher of men There was a dad whose daughter was dead. He ran and he found Jesus, brought him back. Jesus prayed, and she was given life, and he became a fisher of men. All throughout the the New Testament, people became, were molded into, fishers of men. And it's continued for the last 2,000 years, generation after generation person after person, accepted the call to follow. And when they accepted the call to follow, they knew that it was a call to fish. And this morning, the invitation, indeed the command, is still the same. When Jesus invites you to follow, He's inviting you, to fish. Now, if I were you, I'd be sitting there thinking, okay, Scott, um, I expect you to say that. I mean, you're a pastor. I mean, that's, that's your job is to tell us to go out and be fishers of men. I, I get it. And if I were a pastor, I would do the same thing. I mean, it would be easy. You just tell somebody what you do and then you kind of lead the conversation into a story about being a fisher of men or telling somebody the story about Jesus. Share the gospel with them. I mean, if I I were in your shoes, Scott, I would be a fisher of men. To which I would respond, if I were in your shoes, I would be a fisher of men. I mean, if I wasn't a pastor, it would be so much easier to be a fisher of men. I mean, whenever I start having conversations with people and they find out what I do for the first time, they think that's all that I'll talk about or know how to talk about or want to talk about. And so it's almost an expectation for me. And so I sit up here and I think, if I just were not a pastor, I it'd be so much easier to be a fisher of men. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, Scott, my, my story. It's just too boring. But there's a person across the aisle that's thinking, my story, they'll just think that I'm a hypocrite. No, If I just had more influence, then I could be a fisher of men. If I just had more money, then I could be a fisher of men. If I just had less money, then I could be a fisher of men. It's always easier to sit where you are and think, if my circumstances were different, then I could obey this command. I could be molded into a fisher of men. But the invitation, indeed... The command is for you this morning if you know Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've accepted the invitation to follow, you've accepted the invitation to fish. It's for you this morning. Here's the cool thing about being a fisher of men. There's a lot of things in your life that are important, but every single one of them is temporary. Think about your job. One day somebody else is going to have the job that you hold. One day there's going to be another person that gets up here week after week and is the senior pastor of Wellspring Church. This is a temporary position for me because one day I'm going to die. Rick Warren, he says, God never calls you to something. He always calls you through something. And I think that's that's a great way to illustrate this point. Everything in your life is temporary. The job you hold, the house you live in, Even your marriage, one day, one of you is going to die. And it's going to come to an end. Everything in your life is temporary, even though many, many things in your life are important. But here's the cool thing about being a fisher of men. When you take the challenge to share the gospel, to be alive, to be salt. When you take the challenge to share the great news that Jesus is coming and died and risen so that you can have life and you can have it abundantly starting right now and it lasts forever when you take that challenge God can take all those things that are important yet all those things that are temporary temporary, and give it eternal value eternal significance let me illustrate tomorrow morning you show up at that you show up at that cubicle that you absolutely hate and you decide you know what I'm going to be a follower. And part of following means I'm going to fish. And you leverage your influence for the sake of the gospel. God can take the relationships that you have. The influence that he has given you. And he can give it eternal significance. A life could be changed forever. As a result of the gospel that you Cheer. I don't know what brought you here this morning I don't know the events That led you to this room But if you know Christ If you have a relationship with Christ this morning Here's what I know I know That God took A timeless message A, a message of utmost importance A message that has changed lives For 2,000 plus years. He took that message. And he combined it with a messenger. That God uniquely. Fit into your life. And God took the message and the messenger. He put them together. And the result. If you know Christ this morning. Is that your life. Was changed forever. When you heard it. God took the message and the messenger. And he. Uh, sovereignly put them together, molded them, and put them in your life. And when that person shared the gospel, you responded. And your life was changed forever. And 2,000 years, people have taken that message and, under the guidance of a sovereign God, have fished for men. Christianity is the only major world religion. And I hate to use that term, but for the sake of clarity, I don't know what else to use. Christianity is the only major world religion that the epicenter of its growth has crossed oceans into other continents. It started in the Middle East with Jesus himself and these four fishermen. And it spread to, to eight additional disciples. And then it spread to additional disciples. And it spread to additional disciples. Until the epicenter of its growth moved up north into Europe. And it spread like wildfire because every person understood that to follow was to fish. And when I, when I was called to follow Jesus, I was also called to fish. And people took that command seriously. And they took it across the Atlantic Ocean to North America. And every person understood that to follow Jesus meant that, it was to, that they were to be a fisherman. Following meant fishing. And it spread like wildfire here in North America. And, and people, every generation took seriously the command to follow and to fish. And it spread like wildfire. And today there's more believers in Asia, in the nation of China, than there are Americans. Not American Christians. Americans. Christianity is the only belief system that can lay claim to that because every generation for 2,000 years took seriously the call to follow and the call to fish. And the command this morning is exactly the same. If you know Christ, then you've been called to fish. This morning, I want to leave you with some homework. I want to challenge you with some homework. This week, I want you to find 10 people to tell that to. No, I'm just kidding. I just had to tell you that. I don't want you to do that. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the homework that I want you to do. This afternoon, after you take your lunch, after you grab yourself a Sunday afternoon nap, I want you to sit down and for about five minutes. I want you to write a letter just saying thank you to the person that was the greatest influence in you becoming a believer, a follower of Jesus. The sovereign God of the universe has a timeless message, but he, he, he crafted it into a person that was uniquely positioned to influence you and your life was changed forever as a result. And I want you to write a letter to that person. And I want you to do it for two reasons. Number one is, I just want you to say thank you. Maybe you've never done that before. Just to tell that person thank you. They may not even be alive anymore. But still, just sitting down and articulating that, I think, I think it just gives you a new perspective and a new sense of gratefulness. And Just sit down and say thank you to that person. And then secondly, the second reason I want you to do this is I want you to be reminded that there was a time, there was a time in your life that you were a fish. You didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I think just sitting down and writing that letter will be a reminder that you, if you know Christ this morning, you were called to follow, but you were also called to fish to be a fisher of men this week I sat down for a few minutes and I did exactly that I want to read you my letter and then I think you can do three things with your letter maybe you want to take it to your home group tonight and share it with your home group I know our home group is going to take a few minutes and share our letters if if anybody sat down and wrote the letter maybe you want to take it you want to put it in the mail and mail it to that person Or maybe you want it to be between you and God. It's just between you and God. You're not going to show anybody. Or maybe a combination of those two or three things. I don't care what you do with a letter. I just want you to sit down and write it out as a reminder of gratefulness and a reminder that there was a time that you did not know Christ, but God used his timeless message with a person uniquely positioned to influence you. And your life was changed as as a result of their obedience. That person in my life was my dad. And here's my letter that I wrote to him. Dear Dad, I vividly remember that Sunday afternoon way back in August 1987. For several weeks, you had patiently answered my questions about Jesus dying on the cross. My six-year-old brain was trying to wrap my mind around this truth that I still today don't fully understand. Jesus, who is God, loved me enough to come to earth and die for me. And then he rose again victoriously so that I could have a relationship with God. I didn't understand it then and I don't really understand it now. On our way home from church that day, our conversation continued. You sense that God was indeed working on my young heart. When we got home, you told me all I had to do was ask Jesus to come, forgive me of my sin, give me the gift of life with him in heaven one day when I die. That Sunday afternoon, my life changed forever. And I just want to, just want to tell you thank you. In addition, I want to thank you for your consistent and godly example since that Sunday afternoon so long ago. Many pastor's kids end up running away from the church and want nothing to do with the God that loves them. I can only guess, but my assumption is they saw their dad Monday through Saturday and it simply didn't match up with what they taught on Sunday. I'm thankful that was not the case in our house. I had a front row seat to your life and I'm thankful your life matched what you faithfully taught week in and week out. Thank you for taking the command to be a fisher of men seriously. My life is changed forever as a result. Love, Scott. I don't know who that person is in your life, but it was somebody. And I challenge you to just take a couple minutes and tell them thank you for continuing the chain that has gone on for 2,000 years sits in our lap this morning to continue let's pray Father this morning you challenged us to follow and then to finish it's been the same challenge that you've offered for 2,000 years and this morning we sit here and we're grateful for those who went before us And we take the charge seriously to continue it. Because your life-changing message is worth it. Indeed, you are worth it. Even if it means dying for it. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you, of serving you, of glorifying you, of lifting your name on high. To the nations, to our kids, to our co-workers. Lord, continue to mold us and make us into fishers of men. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. You're dismissed.